And so it became apparent that we needed to talk about a biblical model for helping our friends. Hello friends and welcome or welcome back. At the beginning of this semester, I asked everyone in Manthanos double slash Kairos, which is the student ministry at Shaman International Christian Fellowship, what they would be interested in studying this school year. Last year, we spent time trying to lay a foundation, understanding the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, understanding the different covenants in the Bible, and that God was dealing with humanity at different moments in time through different covenants and how that makes the, the meta-narrative of the Bible really come together and make sense. Understanding what it means that Jesus is the Christ in God's kingdom. Understanding what the kingdom of God is and that the kingdom of God is different than heaven. And understanding the book of Revelation and developing a biblical eschatology that is a biblical view of the end of the world. And so that was a big part of our time at Manthanos double slash Kairos last year. So as we began this year in the fall, I asked the students what they were interested in learning about. And so everybody got to write down three different topics. And one of the recurring themes was helping friends that, oh, I have a friend who's dealing with homosexuality. I have a friend that's dealing with depression. I have a friend that's dealing with thoughts of suicide. I have a friend who's dealing with unbelief. And so it became apparent that we needed to talk about a biblical model for helping our friends. Because as we live in this world, we are experiencing on a macro level the brokenness and the sinfulness of humanity and that the systems around us don't uh, aren't really designed to care for people. They're they're based on violence, they're based on power, they're based on the ability to manipulate and to uh, exercise power and authority over other human beings. They're, they're basically, uh, it's the strong who, who run the game in this world. And that is the macro of the brokenness that we see in the world. It's the big picture brokenness that we see in the news and you know, when we look at human institutions. But then there's also kind of the micro-brokenness that we can find in our own hearts, our own selfishness, our own selfish desires, our own sinfulness, our own brokenness when we do the things that we don't want to do, we don't do the good things that we know we should do. And so we can see the, the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam. We can see it manifested all around us. We can see it manifested in our own hearts at a very micro level, and we can see it manifested in the world that we live in at a macro level. And so there's this brokenness all around us, and certainly we're going to encounter it in our own lives, and we're going to encounter it in our friends. And so we spent some time in Manthanos double slash Kairos looking at how we can help our friends uh, be healed from this brokenness that we've inherited from Adam. And the only healing to be found from that sinful nature that we inherited from Adam is to be found in Christ. And so that's why it was so important last year that we laid a foundation of what does it mean to be in Christ. And we talked about how God puts us into Jesus Christ and he unites our spirit with the spirit of Christ so that he can relate to us 
the same way that he relates to Jesus so that we can enjoy the same relationship that Jesus Christ has with God. We get to have that very same relationship with God that Jesus Christ has. And that is the miracle of the gospel, that we die with Christ, we're resurrected with Christ, and now we live in Christ and we're united with Jesus. So as we try to address our own sinful behavior and our own brokenness, we always need to begin with the gospel and beginning in our position in Christ and recognizing that we are not defined by our behavior. Because we can either let the the consequences of our sin define us, or we can let God's grace define us. So that, like Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, you know, you guys used to be this way, but you were washed and you were sanctified. So it's not our past actions that define us. It's not our behavior that defines us. It's God's grace working in our lives that defines us. And ultimately, that grace does affect our behavior and does change how we act and does influence us and causes us to say no to ungodliness and causes us to live a holy life. But we can't begin just with a simple behavior modification and hope that uh, somehow that change will work its way from the outside in. Jesus does it just the opposite. Jesus changes our hearts, knowing that when the heart is transformed, then the behavior will follow. So as we looked at helping our friends and some biblical principles for helping others and trying to give others good advice when our friends come into crisis, when we see people struggling, whether it be with anxiety or depression or you know homosexuality or suicide or all these challenges that we face as being heirs of this brokenness of Adam, of as being heirs of this sinful nature, we're bound to face these challenges. The Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. So all of humanity faces these temptations and these challenges of this sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam. And so as we look at uh, our, our friends or we have friends who are struggling with certain things, how can we serve them? How can we be a blessing to them? What can we do to express God's love and God's compassion toward them? And the Bible says that the entrance of God's word brings light. In Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we can understand our existence here on the earth as a battle between light and darkness. In 1 John 1.5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When Paul retells the story of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 26, he says that Jesus is calling him to the Gentiles to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. So we can understand that in the world there is this battle going on between light and darkness, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, that he came into the world and brought the light of God, and he called us out of darkness. He delivered us 
from the dominion, from the power of the devil, that we could come out of the power of Satan and live under the reign of God, in the kingdom of God with Jesus as our king. And now he invites us as his church to be part of destroying the works of darkness, to be part of destroying the works of the devil, even as he destroyed the works of the devil. And so the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the authorities, against the rulers, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And so as we're helping our friends, we want to help them understand that there are things that are deeds of darkness. In Ephesians 5.11 it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And that's, in this day and age, an unpopular thing to say. In this day and age, it's unpopular to say that something is a deed of darkness. To be that black and white and say, look, this thing is bad for you. This thing is causing you harm. This thing is not good for you. And we should expose these things as being harmful for people. Like, look, when you listen to this type of music, it depresses you. It causes anxiety in you. It doesn't bring anything good into your life. And so to help our friends begins with an understanding from God's word that there are spiritual forces of light and darkness. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to acknowledge that there are things that bring darkness into our life and there are things that bring light into our life. And we should be ministers of the light. We should be people who bring light into other people's lives, into our friends' lives, to help our friends understand, look, you need the healing power of Jesus. You're carrying this brokenness that you receive from Adam. You're walking around in the darkness. Jesus Christ is the light. He is the healer. He's the one that can heal your heart. He's the one that can bring you out of this darkness into light. And so as we talked about this at Manthanos double slash Kairos, Uh, I came up with an acronym, and yes, acronyms are generally cheesy and bad, and I'm afraid that this one is no exception, but it was the only word that I could uh, fit all of my points into, and so the acronym is kalimbas, you know that musical instrument, a kalimba, K-A-L-I-M-B-A-S, and that was the acronym I came up with for helping us remember these principles as we try and help our friends. We want to help our friends. We want to serve our friends. We want to administer God's grace and God's love to them and share God's goodness with our friends. And so these are some points I came up with to help us help our friends. So each point has several scriptures, and we're going to spend a lot of time looking at the Bible, and we're just going to go through this acronym, Kalimbas, and read the scriptures that go with each point. The first point, K, in the acronym Kalimbas is to keep in step with the Spirit. And this is something that we talk about a lot at Manthanos double slash Kairos. But it's from Galatians 5.25, and it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so we've done the illustration, you know, where one person walks across the room and the other person has to keep in step with them. So if they take big steps, that person takes big steps. If they take small steps, that person takes small steps. To keep in step with somebody, is it means that that person is setting the pace. And in our walk with Jesus, this is the key, that we allow the Holy Spirit to set the pace, that we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. In John 5.19, Jesus says this. This is the secret of Jesus' spiritual life. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And this was the secret of Jesus' spiritual life, that he only did what he saw the Father doing. And then later, in John 15, 5, he said the same thing to his disciples. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And we have to remain in that posture and just realize, you know what, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Yeah, maybe I can do things in the flesh, and, and a lot of activity happens in the flesh. But to do something valuable, to, to do a work that will remain, we have to be in step with the Spirit. We have to be looking with the spiritual eyes of our heart to see what is the Father doing, and let me join Him in that. And that is especially true when we're helping other people, because there's always a temptation just to react, just to respond. Instead of being led by the Holy Spirit, we become driven by the need that we see before us. Oh, this person's really hurting. Oh, this person really needs help. Let me just do whatever I can think of do to, to do to help them. And sometimes those best efforts actually end up hurting people. And so it's much better if we can keep our thoughts stayed on the Lord and quietly turn inwardly and pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in this situation? You've been at work in this person's life since even before they were born, you know everything about them. How can I join you in what you're doing in this person's life? And to realize, hey, God has been at work in this person's life long before I showed up, and he's going to be working in this person's life long after I'm gone. And so I don't need to put pressure on myself that I have to fix this person, I have to solve this person's problem. I can join God in what he's doing. And that doesn't mean that I become passive and I just say, oh, well, whatever God wants to do, he'll do. I still want to be the instrument of God. I want the honor of being used by God in this person's life. But I want to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get ahead of him, and I don't want to get behind him either. The Holy Spirit is going to be my pace setter. So that's our K in kalimbas. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Number two, the A in kalimbas is address the brokenness of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so we have to realize that all of life's issues come from the human heart. And all of life's issues are solved by the reign of Jesus in the human heart. That in the new covenant, God promises to take out our heart of stone and to give us a new heart. And when we surrender our heart to the reign, to the lordship, to the kingship of Jesus, that he can come in and he can transform our heart, give us a new heart, and he can begin to reign in our hearts. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so we see that the brokenness that we see in the world is a result of sin. The death that we see in the world is a result of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
the remedy for sin and for the brokenness that it brings into our lives is not simply behavior modification. Okay, stop doing this thing. The remedy for sin is God's grace. It's the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. And so it's not just a question of, hey, stop doing this bad thing. It's a question of give your heart over to the God who loves you. God loves you so much. Realize that you know what, this behavior is is bringing brokenness into your life. And it begins with your heart. It begins with giving your heart over to Jesus Christ. And people who are not willing to give their hearts to Jesus are just basically putting a Band-Aid over whatever the problem may be, whether it's some kind of sexual behavior or it's depression or anxiety or a myriad of life's issues All of life's issues begin with the human heart. And the answer to all of life's issues is the reign of Jesus in the human heart. So A is address the brokenness of the heart. Okay, so K is keep in step with the Spirit. A is address the brokenness of the heart. L in our acronym Kalimbas is let them take responsibility for themselves. A lot of times when we're helping people, we're very tempted to uh, feel the the burden and the weight of trying to fix the situation. And that is generally going to be impossible. So I'm not saying we shouldn't help people. I'm not saying we shouldn't love them and we shouldn't do practical things to express and show God's love for them. But ultimately, we need to realize that people are responsible for their own decisions. In John 14.1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so there's an incredible implication there in what Jesus is saying when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And uh, our modern response might be to say, how can I possibly control whether or not my heart is troubled? (laughs) But Jesus is saying, no, you have a choice to make. You choose whether or not you choose to let your heart be troubled. You choose whether or not you're going to believe in God and believe also in me. And so in the same way, we need to have confidence in the word of God such that we can say to our friend, hey man, let not your heart be troubled. Don't, I know things may seem bad, but don't let this bother you. You know, Jesus loves you. And our consolation is that we belong to Jesus, that we are loved by God. Don't let your heart be troubled. And so people have to take responsibility for their own heart, for their own decisions. And as we're helping our friends, we can't be responsible for the choices they make. Even as a parent, I want to love my children. I want to give my children as many opportunities as possible to know God, to follow God, to obey God. But I know at the end of the day, I can't make that decision for them. They're going to have to choose. Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want to obey Jesus? And that's not a choice that God is going to take from them. And so what on earth would make me think that I have the ability or the right to take that choice from them? So everyone has to take responsibility for their own decisions. And the next letter in our acronym Kalimbas is I, and it's connected to this, and it's I can't change anybody. And sometimes when we're helping our friends, we feel a sense of responsibility that, oh, I have to, I have to change them. I have to make this situation better. But 
um, that's not a fair burden to put on yourself. We can't change people. What we can do is love people, serve people, tell people the truth, and then they have to make their choices and they have to choose. Are they going to let Jesus reign in their heart? Are they going to surrender to the Lord and follow his path? Or are they going to be their own Lord and follow the path that they choose? And so we cannot change anybody. Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 1, says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And so that's just to say that the watchman has a responsibility to sound the warning. When we see people going down a destructive path, we have a responsibility to sound the warning, to love them, to share the truth with them. At the end of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone. And so we do have a responsibility to share the truth with people, but we cannot be responsible for changing people. So that's the I in the acronym Kalimbas. I cannot change anybody. The M, uh, K-A-L-I-M, is the mind. Win the war for the mind. And this is huge because the mind is where the battle is really fought and won. And John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, you know, that's so frequently quoted, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's written on virtually somewhere at every American university. Some building will have this statement carved in stone on it. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But how do you know the truth? Jesus says you abide. That means you stay. You stay in my word. You be my disciple and then you will know the truth. So the truth is not just out there to be discovered in a laboratory somewhere. The truth is to be found in Jesus Christ and in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then you know the truth. Then the truth sets you free. So Winning the war for the mind is very much connected to where the loyalty of your heart is, that Jesus must be your master, you must be his disciple, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so, you know, our thoughts, I heard a, a preacher make an illustration one time, our thoughts are kind of like uh, birds that fly overhead. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. And so we have thoughts that you know can come from the world, can come from the devil, can come from our flesh, but we have the responsibility to take every thought captive. We may have thoughts, you know, that 
that Satan puts in our minds. We may see something inappropriate in a movie or on a television that uh, puts an idea in our head, and we have to take those thoughts captive and recognize "Mm, that thought does not obey Jesus. I'm going to take it captive, and I'm going to make it obey Jesus. I'm going to reject the thoughts that are not profitable to help me know God. In Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so being transformed begins with the renewal of the mind. Look at Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So our mindset, where we set our mind, is so important. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. And so what people spend their time thinking about is so important. Andrew Womack has a great uh, sermon. It's called uh, Your Dominant Thought, I think is what he calls it. And he says, Your life is going the direction of your dominant thought. And so... Helping people, if we want to help our friends overcome any issue of life, we need to understand that it begins with the reign of Jesus Christ in their heart, and then that reign comes and affects how they think, what they spend their time thinking about, taking every thought captive, changing the way you think. Don't be like the Gentiles who just trust in their own thinking, but we submit our thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so... Our next letter in Kalimba's is the letter B-K-A-L-I-M-B, body. So M was for mind, B is for body, to discipline your body. We are not uh, segmented people. You know, we can't say that I have this spiritual life over here and it doesn't affect how I behave with my body, that I can do whatever I want with my body because my spirit is connected with Jesus. It doesn't work like that. The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we're a living temple that God indwells. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. So our bodies must be submitted to Jesus and must come under the control of the Lord Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. All right, so Kalimbas, keep in step with the Spirit. That's the K. A, address the brokenness of the heart. L, let them take responsibility for themselves. I, I can't change anybody. M, mind, win the war for the mind. B, body, discipline the body. The second to the last letter is A, alert, stay alert. And that's connected to that verse that we just read in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We have to stay alert when we're helping people deal with uh, their issues that we ourselves don't become entrapped by those same issues. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals.
You know, we've done the illustration where we have one person stand up in a chair, and then we have one person try and pull them down while they try to pull the other person up. And it is much easier to pull someone down from a chair than it is to pull someone up onto a chair. And so we that, that's just to illustrate that it is very easy to become entrapped when we're trying to help others. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so it's important to realize, hey, look, I'm not above being tempted myself. If I'm helping someone who's struggling with doubt, who's struggling with unbelief, I need to realize, look, I can also be tempted with doubt. I can also be tempted with unbelief. Like, I don't need to go out and listen to a bunch of podcasts on reasons why God doesn't exist. I realize that, look, there are some very convincing lies out there. There are some very powerful deceptions out there. And to think that I should go and expose myself to every lie and every deception so that I myself can become better informed or can help others, I'm deceiving myself. I need to realize that bad company corrupts good morals, that I too can be deceived, that I'm not above being deceived. I'm not above being tempted myself. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so we need to be alert. We need to understand that, hey, yes, I want to help people, but in the process of helping people, I need to I need to watch myself because I'm not I'm not any better than anybody else. Everyone's flesh is equally broken. You know, the the most holy person and the most sinful person, actually their flesh is all dead because of sin. And so anyone who chooses to walk in the flesh is capable of the same kind of evil. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we shouldn't think, as we reach out to our friends, we shouldn't think, hey, look, I've got it all together. I'm going to help you. Not at all. You know, like people have compared evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get the bread. That's that's it. You know, we're all equally broken. We're not better than anyone else. We can just point people to Jesus and say, Jesus loves you, and if you let him reign in your heart, he can fix you. He can redeem you. He can bring you out of this brokenness. Okay, the last letter in our acronym Kalimbas is support. So we want to support our friends, but we need to separate when necessary. So this is kind of a a double letter, support but separate when necessary. You know, when you find yourself helping someone and you've told them the truth and you've offered them some tools to change, you've offered them some practical steps, and they just insist on walking a path that is destructive, there comes a time when you have to part ways. Uh, When Jesus told his followers, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh, Many people left, and it said they didn't follow him anymore. And Jesus didn't run after them and say, wait, 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 you misunderstood. It's a metaphor. Let me explain. I'm sorry. Come back. No, he just let them them go. And there's a point where it's necessary to separate from people who insist on walking a path 
that is not the path that God wants them to walk. And the the purpose is like in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about, I'm handing this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that he might be saved. And so the purpose is to hopefully let them have an experience that brings them back to the Lord, to let them arrive at a place of brokenness that causes them to come back to the church and come back to the Lord. The purpose is not to hurt them. The purpose is to help them. And so it's still the same motivation. The motivation is still love. It's not that we don't love these people anymore, but there may come a time when you're trying to help someone and that person is not responding to the truth and to what Jesus would have them do, where you say, look, I don't think there's anything else I can do for you right now. We're going to take a break, and and I'm not going to communicate with you anymore for a while. And I don't say that lightly. That's a heavy thing, and I've had to do it a few times in my life, and it's a hard, difficult thing. But it did produce good fruit, I can say that. And it needs to be a necessary part of our toolkit as we help people, that sometimes it is appropriate to separate from people and to say, look, I'm, I'm trying to give you some tools, I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to tell you the truth, but you don't seem to be responding, you don't seem to be listening, you just want to stay in the spot, you don't seem to really want to change. And that's a difficult thing, and again, that's why uh, the very first thing was to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, because this isn't something that I think should be done lightly, I think it you know, should be done in love, it should be done in prayer, but it is an important part of helping people is to realize that in some situations, you have to separate from people. And another thing is to always feel comfortable asking for help. And to when you're trying to help a friend, you should never promise a friend that you're confidentiality, that if someone says, hey, I need to tell you something, but you have to promise me you're not going to tell anyone else. Uh, you have to say, I'm sorry, I can't make that promise to you because if they if they confide in you something that you know might be harmful to them or harmful to somebody else, they're they're planning on hurting themselves, they're planning on hurting somebody else, you know, you have a responsibility to uh, help them and to and to protect others, to protect them or to protect others. And so when you're helping a friend, if they want you to promise confidentiality, you can say, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to promise you that. I, I promise to do what's best for you. I promise to love you. But, um, you know, there are some situations where you need to call a pastor or you need to tell your parents, you need to tell your teacher, you need to get somebody else involved. And that's the right thing to do. That's the expression of love in those circumstances. So let's go over Kalimba's one more time. K, keep in step with the Spirit. A, address the brokenness of the heart. L, let them take responsibility for themselves. I, I can't change anybody. M, mind, win the war for the mind. B, body, discipline the body. A, alert, stay alert. We have to watch ourselves. S, support, but separate when necessary. So if you stuck with it this long, thank you so much for listening. I hope these ideas can help you as you seek to help others and administer God's love and grace to other people. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon.